0: I truly do believe that everything happens for a reason. It's just sometimes you don't always get to know why. Hey everybody, welcome back to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. And today we're gonna talk about the case of Patricia Stallings while I drank my vodka and lemonade. Yes, I know, shocker, right? In 1986, Patricia Stalling was 24, working at a convenience store as a clerk in St. Louis. She was a sweet girl and a hard worker. She was very happy and seemed to be living the life at that point. The only thing that was missing was Mr. Wright. She wouldn't have to wait that long, though. While she was working at the convenience store, that's where she met David Stallings. They met in 1986 and married in 1988. They moved to a new home in Hillsboro, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis, and the home overlooked Lake Wauwanoka. It was a large and beautiful private lake. The only people who get to enjoy it are the people who also lived in that upscale neighborhood. They had their first son, Ryan, on April 4th, 1989. They were so happy to start their little family and they were excited to see what else they had in their future. You know, new home, new baby, everything's good. He was the cutest little thing. He had dimples and big blue eyes. But after he came home from the hospital, within a few weeks she started to notice that he vomited a lot. He always seemed fine after, so she never really thought much of it. But it wasn't until July 9th of 89 when she decided that it was time to take him to the hospital. She had fed him a bottle and he he wouldn't stop vomiting, so of course she freaked out. She intended to take him to St. Louis Children's Hospital, but she ended up getting lost. So she ended up at the Cardinal Glennon's Children's Hospital and let them know that he was vomiting and he was starting to have difficulty breathing. He was admitted to the pediatric intensive care unit, they put him on a respirator, and they started to perform lab tests. When they did those, they sent them out to two different independent labs. Patricia and David were able to run a room at the hospital. That way they could be close to their son. That's really cool. I didn't know that um, hospitals did that. When the results came back on July 12th, doctors were shocked. In his blood, it showed high levels of acetone and ethylene glycol. Acetone is the main ingredient in nail polish and ethylene glycol is found in antifreeze. Patricia and David are confronted with these findings they do admit that in the home they do have nail polish remover and antifreeze. So of course now doctors are suspicious. They call in the authorities so they can come in and take a look to see if they can find any foul play. When cops arrive, they separate them so they can ask them questions individually. By the end of the interview, they're not pressing charges, but they're also not out of the clear just yet. Ryan starts to improve, and on July 17th, which was 12 days later, he was released, but not to Patricia and David. He was actually taken by a social worker and placed in foster care. His parents were devastated. They didn't understand what was happening my son was sick he's finally out you're not giving him back to me what is happening we didn't do anything to our child and then to even make matters worse they were only allowed to see ryan one hour a week during supervised visits i mean you have to understand why they're suspicious but that's rough to go from having your son and to you can't even see him unless it's supervised After five weeks of them going and no incidents, it was September 1st, and this was the sixth week that they were able to go visit Ryan. And Patricia was left alone with him, but it was only for a short period of time. But days later, Ryan started to get sick again. And he was admitted back to the hospital. When they did more testing, it showed that there was more glycol in his system. Authorities then decided that they were going to charge Patricia. And she was arrested and charged with assault. While all this is happening, Ryan's conditioning is worsening. And he was placed on life support. David asked the judge if Patricia could get out so she could see her son since he was going on life support. But the judge denied it. And on September 7th at 6.30 p.m., Ryan passed. He wasn't even six months old. Her charges were then upgraded to first degree murder and she was also denied being able to go to his funeral. While Patricia's in jail awaiting trial, she discovered she was pregnant again. Isn't isn't this the way like usually it is? Like what? On February 27th, 1990, she gave birth to another boy. This son, they named David DJ Stallings Jr. And she had him at the Madison County Hospital handcuffed to her bed. Even though David wasn't a suspect, they wouldn't let him take home DJ. He became a ward of the state. See, I don't know if I agree with that because she's in jail, so she can't get to the child, I mean, I guess you have to look at him too and be like, well, it could have been him. I don't know why they were more focused on Patricia. Well, now I do because of the sixth visit, but at first. When DJ became about two weeks old, he started to display the same exact symptoms that Ryan had. This time, DJ was taken to St. Louis Children's Hospital, where she was going to originally go. And he was diagnosed with methylmalionic acidemia, also known as MMA. MMA is a rare genetic disorder which makes it harder for your body to digest fat and protein. It also causes the bottle to produce chemical byproducts that are very similar to glycol. It produces propylene glycol and acetone. According to Richard Loki, a professor of organic chemistry at the University of Missouri at Columbia, he said it was easy for doctors to confuse the two because they are very similar. And since it's so rare, a lot of doctors don't even know how to look for it or to look for it. The chemical properties of the two compounds are so close together. The new diagnosis definitely had prosecutors needing to reevaluate their case, but ultimately they decided that they were going to still go ahead and take her to court and take her to trial. Patricia was released from jail, but she still was not allowed to have any contact with DJ. Prosecutors, they didn't believe in the MMA diagnosis. And even though their head prosecutor, George McElroy, had in fact been told of the possibility of Ryan actually having MMA as well. He didn't care. He just wanted to go ahead with this trial. I mean, they felt like Ryan was poisoned prosecution, they brought in four expert witnesses to the judge to show that they all found the same conclusion, that Ryan was poisoned. The defense called no experts on their side, so of course the judge ruled that DJ's MMA diagnosis was inadmissible in court. But the prosecuting attorney, George McElroy, he really did feel like there was enough evidence to convict her. You know, everything pointed to her being guilty. They did find the antifreeze at home. They found Nail polish at home. He had crystals in his brain, and they're like, Okay, we know that this child's been poisoned. When the case started, they really focused on that sixth visit when Patricia and David came to visit, and then he got sick. While they were there on that sixth visit, they did feed him a bottle, and after the fact, they did testing on the bottle and it contained traces of glycol. But David took this stand and he told them that he was not out of the room for more than like 30 seconds. It wasn't even a minute. He told them all he did was walk his parents out of the room and he was right there the whole time. He also stated that he was the one who had handed the bottle to Patricia and he's the one who took it out of the bag. There was no sign of tampering on the bottle. You could tell nothing was poured in. Nothing has been taken out Nothing has been poked, prodded, and of course, you know, they have to dig up dirt from the past. And they did state that Patricia did have another child, a five-year-old son, who she didn't have custody of. And he was being raised by his aunt after allegations of child abuse. They said that he was found to be malnourished and to have frostbite. And they also pointed out that she took a polygraph and she failed it. Police and social workers, they took the stand as well, and they told the jury how they didn't see much emotion coming from Patricia and they said not even when she had learned of Ryan's passing. Her defense attorney Eric Rathbone pointed out that it indeed took three days for the visit for him to start to show signs and if he was poisoned on that day it should have been quicker than that. He had a medical geneticist state that it would be impossible for him to have been poisoned on that visit, but the prosecutor said that it may have been the foster parents not realizing that he was sick and they might have put it off and then it was just, it was too late. Her defense also came to her defense. They said that, you know, she had her other son when she was young. She was poor. She didn't have the money to take care of him and that's why she gave him to family. It was not because of abuse. She wanted her son to have a better her life than what she was able to prepare at that time. Patricia did ask her attorney to call some character witnesses to show that she's not this cold-hearted murderer. A lot of people would have gone to her defense and said that they did know her as a mother, as a friend, neighbors. Everybody said, you know, she was a really nice girl, but her attorney did not call a single person. Come to find out her attorney actually took the case as a favor because nobody else wanted it. Nobody wanted to touch this case. So I guess he was a family friend or something. So he decided to take it. I think she was better off going solo if you ask me. On January 31st, 1991, Patricia was convicted and charged with murder and she was sentenced to life. Patricia has always maintained her innocence and this case was actually broadcasted on Unsolved Mysteries in May of 1991 and it got the attention of a lot of physicians. A lot of them started to call this show because they were very familiar with MMA and they wanted them to know that this is actually a possibility. William S. Sly was the head of the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at St. Louis University and biochemist Dr. James Shoemaker. They called and asked if they could start to get some of the samples of the blood that was taken from Ryan because they wanted to do some more tests on his blood. When the test results came back, they found propionic acid which is common in MMA patients. They sent the samples to other labs that used the same procedures that showed Patricia was guilty and what came back was a lot of them had the incorrect results. Sly believes that the treatment that Ryan was getting while he was in the hospital may have been the cause for the incorrect results. They were treating them for poisoning and if it's not poisoning it's going to mess up whatever's really going on. Six months after her trial, Prosecutor McElroy did the unexpected and he went back to Judge Kramer and asked to give her a new trial. He stated that her defense was inadequate. Well, duh. And Judge Kramer even said himself, like this was the first time ever known for this to happen for a prosecutor to acknowledge ineffective counsel. They also got word that back in May of 1990, her defense attorney, Rathbone, Obtained copies of the notes determined to have been written by the assistant prosecutor John Applebaum and the notes indicated that the doctor who pronounced Ryan dead had considered the possibility of an MMA diagnosis. After the discovery of the note, prosecutors said that they believed that there were important differences between ethylene glycol and propylene glycol. So after the discovery of these notes, they start to see that even her attorney felt like they were irrelevant. On July 30th, 1991, she was granted a new trial and she was released Released again from prison. The fact that her second child had also became sick really bothered McElroy and I guess he figured that he really wanted to right his wrong since he didn't want to look at it before. He didn't want to believe it but it always haunted him about DJ. How could this next kid be poisoned when he hasn't even been around her? And it's a genetic disease hello, their siblings, he finally realized that there was a one in four chance that Ryan had suffered from this same genetic disorder. On September 20th, 1991, Pero Ronaldo, a geneticist from Yale University, held a press conference. Stating that the independent serum test confirmed that Ryan did indeed die from MMA. He said that the results were garbage and that he's never seen such lousy work. It was a classic case of misdiagnosis. He also said that he felt that that drip they give him, the ethanol... Drip, is what actually killed Ryan. Prosecutors decided to drop all charges, and in October of 1991, 18-month-old DJ was finally returned home to his parents. In July of 1991, they decided they were suing the hospital, its affiliates, some of the physicians, and even one of the independent labs, since they refused to do an additional test that would have showed that Ryan was incorrectly diagnosed. And for the medical bills, losing custody of their second child, damage to their reputation, you know? You lost one child, couldn't even say goodbye, then you have your second one taken from you. But in 1993, they got their their check and they received several million dollars. I decided I wanted to do a little digging to see what happened to the Stallings family afterwards. And I must say, it was disheartening. It's not what I expected to read at all. Um, This, I think, is kind of funny, though. In 1994, McElroy, he was going to run for re-election as Jefferson County prosecutor, and Stallings donated $10,000 to his opponent, (laughs) Robert Wilkins. Wilkins ended up winning the race. When McElroy offered to show Wilkins his information on the stalling case stallings found out and asked a court to have her arrest record expunged some of the information was ordered to be expunged but a judge said that missouri law mandated that all prosecutors confidentially maintain some of the information related to felony arrests the stallings case continues to be cited as an extreme case of metabolic disorder that mimics a criminal act i did read on some comments and the neighbor stated that after she had gotten out of prison, she pretty much had a breakdown and I guess she bought a Corvette in every color for every day of the week, among other things. Her and David divorced and when she left, she left them with DJ. Yep. I guess eventually she got remarried and started a new family and so did David. He went on and he married a woman named Mary and they had children of their own, Joshua, Luke, Kyle, and Maura. I also read that they said that they haven't heard from Patricia in over 20 years. But what I found that was very sad is that Patricia's son, DJ, he died in September 17, 2013 at the age of 23. And it kind of seemed as if it was drug related. I'm not positive, so I don't want to put that out there, but it, it appears to be so. And I mean, the kid ended up having a rough life. But also David Sr. passed after a long time illness with Alzheimer's on April 30th, 2019. So a very sad ending. I was very shocked to see that after all of this, she just left her kid and left. I mean, it, I think a lie kind of makes you wonder about her. I don't know. I guess I just wasn't expecting that. Go through all of that, fight for your children, and then just to walk away from them. I, I don't get it. And the fact that that was the hospital she was supposed to originally go to, that just trips me out. I'm sorry. That just blows my mind. Absolutely crazy. All right, you guys, that's it for today's episode. Don't forget all the ways that you can get your crime fix. Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or CrimeOverCocktails.com. If you want to stalk me, you may do so on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll talk crime another time. Bye, guys.